0: Welcome to the Asset Management Friday's edition of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 45 years of combined experience in operations and management, and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems, manage their properties more efficiently, and become a best-in-class operator. 100% street talk. Let's jump in.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to our Asset Management Friday segment of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate. All right. Today on the show, we have Tim Bratz. Tim, how's it going? Doing great, man. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thanks for being on. If you can start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do.
2: Yeah, man. I'm a real estate investor. I got started probably the same way a lot of people did is going through the the last housing cycle. I got excited about real estate, got out of college, became a real estate broker because I thought that's what you initially do. And then I realized that there's no money in brokering. And you need to be owning real estate. So, I got involved in owning, got into the residential, fix and flip, wholesale, turnkey, property management, bought some vacation rentals, got into some small multifamily, and now my entire focus is, is apartment building. So, I have uh, 3,738 units as I'm talking to you right now with another 400 some closing in the next 30 days. So we'll be a little over 4,000 units. Portfolio value right now, a little over 300 million, and it'll be around 375 million when we close on those other properties. Nice. Impressive. Impressive. Today, I want to focus on how, how you built your team because obviously team is so important. So tell us a little bit about that and who's the first hire? So yeah, great question, man. Because here's what I find in business. There's always two types of people. You need two types of personalities to run a business. One is kind of that visionary, more the CEO mindset, kind of like the, the Steve Jobs, but you need the technical element, which is like the Steve Wozniak, right? And there's always a complementary play there where somebody's more of a visionary and then there's somebody who's more of an integrator or like the operator, right? I think a lot of us, especially getting started, we, we end up wearing all hats And it's really, really difficult to kind of hand off some of that stuff as you continue to grow because you're used to controlling all of it. But what I do know about growth is that it works inversely to control. You have to give up control in order to grow, right? If you want to maintain a lot of control, you will not have growth. It's an inverse relationship. For me early on, the first hire for me was like, man, how do I just get out of my own way? We have 200 employees now, right? But what was the first one? That was the hardest one. I remember going out to a mastermind and being like, I'm, I'm stuck in this box. I can't see outside of what I, what's going on It's just this mayhem. And he's like, the guy who was running the mastermind is like, dude, you just got to hire an assistant. I was like, well, it can't possibly be that simple. He's like, yeah. Write down, take a log of what you do all day, every single day, and the stuff that's not revenue generating and the stuff that you don't like to do just became the responsibilities and the job description for an assistant. And I was like, okay. So I go back after that and I tripled my income and I already had a six figure, it was a small six figure income from the year before. I tripled my income in the next 10 months from that one hire because they took all the non-revenue generating, time wasting, and draining activities off my plate. Then I went down the path of, holy cow, every time I have a problem, I could just hire somebody, right? So I started hiring people every single time something came up. And what I quickly realized is the number one reason most businesses go out of business is because of lack of or having too much overhead, which is typically from having too many employees. And I fell into that trap pretty quickly. I was like, oh crap. And I had to scale back and only have essential kind of employees and grow it in a more strategic type manner. And so I hired an assistant first, took all that stuff off me. Then a lot of the, especially in real estate, this is a real estate show. I don't know if I want to say it this way, but for lack of better terms, like, dude, the property management is kind of like janitorial work of real estate. Like, I hate it. I had a property management company and I built it up to be one of the largest residential management companies in Cleveland. And it's just like, dude, every time you try to get ahead and you try to make a little bit more money, you have to hire more people. It's a ton of liability. It's a ton of headaches. If You're a punching bag for owners and tenants and cities. And you're like, holy cow, man. And so, that was one of the things that I'm like, I'm staffing this out. I don't want to do it. It makes no money for me other than just maintaining operations, right? But I'm not able to grow from it. It's not a revenue generating really activity for me to do in-house. So we started staffing out property management. Project management is pretty easy to staff out. There's a lot of people who understand construction. And then it was like acquisitions. The last thing that I would phase out would be raising money. That's something I just started doing over the past 12 months. So yeah, man, that's kind of the phases that I would go through. Nice, nice. A lot of great information there. Thank you. So where do you, I mean, 200 employees,
0: wow, that's that's a huge amount of employees. Where are you finding them?
2: It happens on a, and it sounds like a lot. You're like, dude, how the hell do you get to a 200 employees? Every time you buy a building, we have on-site management now, right? So we have on-site maintenance personnel, we have on-site leasing agents, on-site property managers. And then the administrative that can work remotely kind of manages those individuals. So just every time we bought a 200 unit building, we ended up collecting eight staff members, right? Eight more employees. And so they either came with the existing building or a lot of times we're buying distressed stuff, under managed, under improved. And so we got to go in and just kind of clean house because it's just never works out. Having somebody who, um, run some slumlord type property, maintaining them as an employee. So we typically have to clean house and let them go. Sometimes we can maintain some of the maintenance personnel, but usually we go in and we just hire somebody else. What I found is that I'm a really crappy hire of people. And I don't do it because I don't like doing it, and so then it gets deferred, and I get procrastinate, and then it doesn't happen, and then it's more work on my team. So one of the things I ended up doing is I found a buddy. He was a chief HR director for some big investment fund with a thousand employees. I was like, Hey man, will you do some staffing stuff for me? So he started doing some consulting and staffing and hiring people for a fraction of what a headhunter would charge. And he ended up leaving his job and ended up doing it on a full-time basis. So a good buddy of mine, his name's Scott Hannis, He does all my staffing now. So what I found, man, when you grow your team, you got to stay in your genius zone. You got to stay. What is your unique ability? What is your core competency? Because the more you can stay in that zone, you can staff out everything else and you'll make more money, exponentially more money just by focusing on, on what you really, really do well. And so my big thing is I've always been really good at raising money and I'm really good at the marketing aspect of things. And so I'm kind of the fuel that drives deal flow and money flow and operations for my team. And I focus on those activities now.
0: Nice. I love how you've got it. You, you know what you do best and you rely on your teammates. It's so, so important. I want to focus on your core team so not the property management but the, you know your acquisitions, maybe it's asset management those things are there characteristics that you're looking for in those, in those people or are you looking for like different traits for different
2: jobs Yeah if you, if you never have you ever heard of disk disk assessment or disk analysis yeah. so that's something that I've always used there's something that's newer that my HR guy just loves it's a, some sort of indicator I can't remember what, what the name of it is but he swears by it and you give somebody here's the job. They go and take the test and it tells you if they're going to be a fit or not. And it answers it immediately so you don't have to waste your time because we all have different, we talked about two elements, more the integrator and the visionary before, but there's different types of mindsets. And if you ever studied DISC. There's D, which is the driver, which is this, a lot of times it's like, all I care about is like performance and they're kind of a shark and they're, they want to break records. And that's kind of like a Donald Trump is very D and it come come off as, as abrasive because that's their personality, right? I is more of a interpersonal. It's more of like your salesy type person. It's more of your fun. They're more of like a dolphin and, and like to hang out and play and like that, you know what I mean? I've heard a book that was called like poor animals and it was disc, but it was sharks, dolphins, whales and urchins. And so I interpersonal, it's more like Barack Obama is more of an I or George Bush was more of an I type personality, right? Then you got your S's. Your S's is more social and supportive and that's more like your nurse personalities and more of teacher type personality. They care more about helping and making a difference than they do about money or having fun or anything like that. They want to they wanna make an impact, right? Those are the whales. And then the, the urchins are the more analytical types. And those are really data, spreadsheet, engineers, you know, CPAs, people who, who dive into the numbers and they're very analytical and data-driven. Those are the Cs, right? And so when you're building out your organization, you got to know- your COO needs to be more of a C D personality, right? I'm more marketing and raising money. I'm more DI personality. And naturally, you'll balance each other out. You want somebody in sales and acquisitions who's, who's heavy on ID, right? Your project manager, you want more CS type personalities. If you have a, an assistant that you're hiring, you want more S type personality. So, just knowing where these people fall or where they should fall and then when you give them that disc assessment, it eliminates a lot of wasted time because you know if that's going to be a driving activity or a draining activity for that individual.
0: Yeah, good Good insight, good insight. So, I want to ask, how how is your core team, how are the compensation structured? Is it, you know, are they getting pieces of the deal? Is it bonus at the end of the year? How do you structure that?
2: Yeah, so, I've tried a lot of different things and I don't know if I have the best situation but I have a core team of about, I think there's seven of us. So it's me as CEO, I have a chief investment officer who handles all the raising money. He's an attorney also. I have a COO, a director of acquisitions, director of project management, director of property management, director of marketing. So I have seven people on my team, on my core investment team. And I've tried doing everything with commissions and this and that. One, I don't want to babysit it. And secondly, I couldn't really incentivize because different personalities, some of them aren't aren't motivated by money, right? So what I've come across is I pay everybody a salary. That's enough of a salary where they're not stressed about money. If you have people on your team who are stressed about money, you have to worry about them stealing from you right? And you have to worry about them focusing on other things or making money somewhere else and they're not focused on your operation. So number one, I pay them enough where they're not stressed about money, including myself. And it's not a lot though. It's not enough to be content, right? So it's forty to $50,000 a year, depending on your market. California, you're probably gonna have to be a little bit more. But you know, in the Midwest, you can pay somebody 50 grand a year. They know their basic needs are met. They got food on the table, clothes on their back, roof over their head, a car that's works, but they're not comfortable, Right? and they want more. So what I do is I pay a, basic, a base salary and then they get profit share based on how well the, comp- the overall company performs. So we wholesale apartment buildings. We flip some apartment buildings that we don't want to hold on to long term. And we hold a lot of apartment buildings and refinance and then hang on to them long term. And we do some coaching and stuff too. So we have multiple revenue streams and everybody has buy-in across all revenue streams because they all get paid based on overall company profit share. And so it's a way that everybody has buy-in, everybody has commitment, everybody thinks like an owner without having to give up equity. Now, three people on that on that team do have equity. My chief investment officer, my chief operating officer, and my director of acquisitions are equity investor or equity owners, and they vested into that. They've all been with me for five plus years, and and they'll continue to vest in to where they can't just take a percentage of the portfolio and now that I gave it to them, they can't walk away. They have to invest in over the next 10 years to make sure that that equity stays. So, it's a way that maintains long-term ownership, gives me the lifestyle that I want. Dude, I don't don't need 100% of the equity, right? I want a quarter of a watermelon and only to do the stuff that I like to do. I'm at a point in my life where money's not really I just want lifestyle and I want to be able to do stuff that I enjoy doing. I don't want to have friction in my life anymore. And so if I can do things and I can focus on the stuff that I like to do that I'm really good at, then I'm happier, my wife's happier, my kids are happier, right? And everything else that comes with it. So I like to think I come from an abundance mindset of just if I find an A player, man, I latch onto them and I want to make sure that they feel that they are appreciated and that they have a home that they're going to grow into long term. Nice.
1: I love it. I'll pass it off to Kyle to finish this off. Yeah. So we ask every guest this final question. What is your asset management superpower?
2: Asset management. Well, I know we talked on on emails. My superpower is more from a standpoint of, you know, raising money and that stuff, but that's not really asset management. I think asset management, what I'm probably best at is, is building out teams, right? And finding good people, attracting talent and really painting a vision. where the company's going, right? Like here's where we are right now, but here's where we're going and here's the path. I want you to be part of that path. And I I get people to buy in and have a long-term commitment and build a lot of loyalty that way. So I think it's a really, really important piece and everybody on my team has been with me. Shoot. I mean, the the shortest amount has been four years. The longest has been seven or eight years now. So, it's worked out really really well. We got a, a great
1: core team and we can speak openly. Everybody has a good attitude and we're looking down the road. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on the show and adding value on the subject of building a team, which is so important today. I learned a couple things. Make sure you have a visionary and a technical person on the on the team to work on both sides giving up control to grow is important and don't have too much overhead. So among many other things, but uh, Tim, tell the listeners where they can find out more about you.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. Connect with me on Facebook. I'm really active on on Facebook. I'm kind of active on Instagram and and LinkedIn. TL Bratz is my Facebook thing and at Tim Bratz is my Instagram handle. So connect with me there or you can go to my website and shoot me a message on on my website, which is legacywealthholdings.com.
1: Perfect. All right. Thanks for everyone for listening in. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher. Give us a like, subscribe and review so we can continue to grow this podcast. And we'll talk to you next week.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.